ACC coaches have voted unanimously for a 350-team NCAA tournament. We need to get cracking on a new bracket. So we have in the South Triad region, 277th seed Elon making their first ever NCAA tournament appearance. And it's going to come against a really formidable opponent, Sawyer, 105th ranked UC Irvine. And Russell Turner's Anteaters seem ready to play. Where are you headed in that matchup, Sawyer? I think I'm taking the Anteaters. Wow! The folks in Burlington aren't going to like that. That could be a barn burner. But in prime time, we're keeping a close eye on the fourth-ranked Duke Blue Devils, who have a real tall order ahead of them as they're going up against the Eagles, or excuse me, the Hawks of Maryland Eastern Shore. A 5-27 record going into the year out of the MEAC. They've got Duke in first round action. So buckle in. Get your dancing shoes on. Fill out your bracket. It's time to figure out if the shoe fits during March Madness. <laughs> uh, there aren't more than 60 good teams in college basketball this year. I know that because there aren't there weren't more than 60 last year or any of the last 10 seasons. I, I can't remember a time there were more than 60 good teams. So why would we invite... 300 more to play for the same prize that Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, and the top schools in the nation play for. I think in the age of COVID, when you're looking for equality, when you're looking for competitive balance, I think you're looking at the wrong place. I think I think you should be looking for survival, ways to survive versus how do we make everything fair for everybody? And we've seen that across sports. Do you think the Milwaukee Bucks would have liked to benefit from the fact they had the best record in the regular season and have home court advantage, a legit home court advantage that they played all season for? The Lakers and Clippers the same way? Of course they would. But Adam Silver wasn't interested in trying to make things fair as much as he was trying to put together a format that allows for the sport to survive, doing what's best for the sport. It's not always fair. Life isn't fair. And a 350-team NCAA tournament bracket, it would tarnish college basketball's brand. That's what I care about most. See, we're in the heart of ACC country. We're in the heart of college basketball country. One of the few areas we can talk about this sport 12 months out of the year and nobody would dot an eye. That's what makes this area special. I love college basketball. And so I'm pretty protective about it. I'm pretty defensive about things that are going to change it drastically. 350 team NCAA tournament, that makes the ACC tournament moot. It devalues not just the NCAA tournament. I mean, who's really going to fill out a 350 team bracket when you can't even get Danielle and accounting to fill out her office bracket by the uh, by Thursday. You're talking about 64 teams. How do you think you're going to get everyone in your office to fill out 350? You're not. 
it devalues the regular season. I saw, I think it was Chris Mack at Louisville make the argument, oh, this is going to enhance the regular season and, and incentivize everybody to play. And while it's true, yeah, maybe spreading around some of that March Madness money to other schools, it'll incentivize smaller schools to want to play a basketball season who otherwise might not. I don't really think that's who we should be appealing to. That's not who we should be tailoring things to. You got to think about what's best for the sport. Devaluing the regular season where it doesn't matter what your resume is. It doesn't matter what your seating is, really. Convince me that's good. The NCAA tournament, it should be an achievement for mid-majors to get in. For UNC Greensboro, for Elon and High Point. Elon and High Point, by the way, two of the 40 or so schools that have never played in the NCAA tournament. East Carolina hasn't been in since 1993. Appalachian State trying to get in. It means something to a lot of those schools. Why would you take away the achievement of earning a bid into that tournament? The current format, this is the part that I think is getting overlooked the most, though. Anytime we try to make judgments on programs and coaches and base it on the NCAA tournament, uh, it drives me crazy. Because there are two sides to the scale when you're looking at what your objective is with a postseason tournament bracket. I don't care what sport you're talking about. Professional football, college football playoff, college basketball, you name it. On what si On one side of the spectrum, you have sheer entertainment value. And on the other side, you have the best team winning. Those two are not married to each other. The NBA... The biggest knock that the playoffs get, oh, it's too predictable. You know who's going to win. There's not as much drama. So that's on the side of the best team winning, not the best television product there is. But I feel pretty good at the end of the finals knowing that the best basketball team that year is holding up the trophy. College basketball is completely on the other end of the spectrum where we're requiring teams. This is our measurement. We're requiring teams to win six games in a row in order to win it. In the current format, the current format is already a tricky championship measurement. It would drive me crazy when ACC fans criticize Tony Bennett for not having a great postseason track record when really all they were talking about was the NCAA tournament. Bill Self. He wins 14 or 15 consecutive Big 12 titles. But all anyone wants to point at, how many Final Fours have you been to? How many titles have you won? No other sport requires you to win six in a row. We love March Madness, though, because it is on the other end of the spectrum towards entertainment value. It's a tremendous TV show. But it borders a place where I don't know if we should putting, uh, be putting primary stock and who's good or not in terms of programs or coaches surely on how you do in March. If you go towards this bracket, 350 teams, what, what integrity does that trophy really represent? How many consecutive games are you going to be asking Duke, Kentucky, UCLA, Wake Forest, you name it, to win in order to be the champion? What's the measurement going to be? 
It's already tricky. Now you're going to throw a lot of bad basketball in there? Tell me where that makes sense. On Twitter at SportsUpTriad, 336-777-1600 if you want to chime in. A lot of stuff going on in basketball. I saw in the NBA that Billy Donovan, he got let go, or I guess they parted ways mutually. It has some people thinking that he's going to go back to college basketball. There are other reports. The Chicago Bulls are still looking for a head coach. Heck, we still don't know who's going to coach Zion in New Orleans as of right now. So there are openings for Billy Donovan. Ed in Winston-Salem wants in to talk about Billy Donovan. Ed, where do you think he ends up? Oh, I think, I don't know if you remember, Josh, it's been several months ago I spoke with you about, you know, in Kansas and serious uh, trouble. And, you know, we talked about then about the possibility of Bill Self going to OKC. Uh, The general manager there, he played college basketball with Bill Self and they're, you know, stay in close contact. So I think there's a real strong possibility, even though the NCAA hasn't, you know, handed out sanctions, there's a very good possibility that Bill Self could lose his job or get, you know, a five-year cause where he couldn't coach in uh, college basketball. So I think that might be one good possibility there. And Billy Donovan, if he would, uh, there's going to be some more openings, too. Yeah. I think that Miller at Arizona and also Will Ed, Wade. And I'm going to stop you. I mean, we need to see more evidence before we think that, that, that these coaches are going to lose their jobs. But I agree with what you're saying, that that's something to keep an eye on. Thanks for the phone call. I... I just don't know about the investigations yet where I feel like Sean Miller and and uh, Bill Self might be in danger. But it will be an enormous red flag if Bill Self decides now is the time to jump to the NBA as he's had all this winning at Kansas. Don't look now, but we are... Three days away, less than three days away from college game day coming to Winston-Salem for the first time ever. It's going to be Wake Forest and Clemson, the nightcap, 7.30 on ABC. The first time Wake Forest has had that national TV network block since 2011. But a full day of ACC football. We get up and watch game day. We're going to watch the Tar Heels play Syracuse at noon. Right here on the Sports Hub, we have Duke facing Notre Dame, and that all leads into the grand finale. It is Wake Forest and Clemson. And here to talk about it, it's the AD for the Demon Deacons, John Curry, joining us on Sports Hub Tribe. Let's paint the picture here. Saturday, 10 a.m., college game day. Not going to be any fans in Truist Field, but based on everything you've been working on over the last week, what do you expect everything behind Reese Davis and company at the 50-yard line to look like Saturday morning? Well, Josh, we're really excited to have the Game Day crew coming in here. As, as you know, they're, they're rolling in and setting up uh, right now as we speak, uh, and their set will be completed sometime on Friday. <clears throat> Given the, uh, the parameters of COVID and the restrictions and all that kind of stuff, um, they will set up on the 50-yard line at Truist Field. Uh, the spirit of the old golden black and our cheerleaders and dance team will be out there with them uh, to provide some enthusiasm. And then we've had incredible response from our D clones um, uh, uh, subscriptions in terms of fans wanting to create a virtual image to have placed inside 
uh, inside the stadium. And then you've seen on the uh, website and on our social media the opportunities for any fan uh, to deliver a sign to be placed uh, inside uh, inside the uh, stadium for, for game day viewers. I'm interested in the truest drive-in. And I give you a lot of credit. It's easy in a political season especially to be jaded about pretty much anything. But you're somebody who is genuinely excited as a Wake Forest alum. The fact that this show is coming to Winston-Salem and you get an opportunity to show what you're all about and to show the passion of Wake Forest fans. And the truest drive-in seems like a really neat thing uh, for many of your biggest fans and supporters to get some shine and also for the national audience to see just how devoted Wake Forest is. What's your vision for the truest drive-in? Well, Josh, what I would say first is is that I am a Wake Forest alum, but I'm also a Winston-Salem resident. And I'm uh, so coming back to this community after being gone for 19 years and seeing the innovative spirit and the uh, incredible improvements to our community, uh, our downtown. Um, you know, we've got two um, uh, major universities here, Winston-Salem State and Wake Forest, both of whom are back in class with in-person learning, which is a tribute to the faculty and staff of both universities. Um, so... I just love the idea that the biggest show in college sports television, which is Wake Forest, which is Game Day, ESPN's Game Day, is going to be here. Uh, that's a tremendous platform. There'll be all kinds of opportunities for shots of, you know, uh, uh, visual shots. The the uh, Game Day bus is rolling in here uh, shortly and is going to get around town, including downtown, uh, over the next couple of days uh, for people to see it. Um, and we've also taken the advantage uh, to to you know have some brand. Um, activation to, to remind folks that we do have, uh, you know, we, we're one of 64 cities in the country that has Power 5 athletics, and the spotlight nationally will be here. Now, there is an, uh, an unfortunate um, uh, side effect of COVID is that we can't have, you know, what would normally be a packed uh, uh, audience area behind the game day set. Uh, and I appreciate the creativity of our staff and looking for alternatives to give um, both uh, Wake Forest students and Wake Forest fans and Winston-Salem residents the opportunity to be part of the action. So um, part of the dynamics and innovation of Winston-Salem is that uh, Chris King and Focus Events, you know, has been running uh, drive-in movie nights at the Coliseum Fairgrounds or at the Winston-Salem Fairgrounds right across from, from uh, Truist Field. And so uh, we, we're working with Chris and Focus Events, and they're going to be able to host a game day drive-in and Truist has stepped up to sponsor it and help make it a reality. Uh, so we'll have the Truist uh, game day drive-in um, on Saturday morning, and fans need to re- who want to come uh, need to register on our website and, and get in the queue to make sure they secure a spot. Um, and so we'll have a bunch of big screens, uh, LCDs, so you can see them in the morning light um, set up so fans can watch the show and, and kind of participate in the show, decorate their cars, you know, they can uh, – uh, there'll be an ESPN camera there to show uh, show the cars and show the fans uh, in their cars and immediately in the parking space vicinity of their cars. So it'll be a great way to show uh, the enthusiasm and how uh, just because we have um, a little pandemic going on, we're not going to stop our enthusiasm and stop continuing to innovate and move forward. It's Wake Forest AD John Curry with us here on Sports Hub Triad. It is very creative by your marketing staff. And I think it's a terrific idea. I'm just interested. What ideas were left on the cutting floor? Like what else was considered <laughs> to try? I mean, you're thinking about drive-ins and you you obviously have to make sure things are safe. That's a given. But give me an example of something that was considered that you didn't pull the trigger on. 
Oh boy, that's uh, I mean, it's a pretty uh, pretty good extensive list of different <laughs> ideas that get floated about. You know, no idea too big, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and we're going to continue to innovate, and hopefully, as as we continue to um, do the right things from wear- mask wearing and social distancing to 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 our goal is to have fans in the stands at some point uh, this season. So uh, we're going to continue to work uh, work towards that. You know, executing these events safely this weekend is part of that. You know, we are going to have uh, soccer games. We 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 um, we kick kick off our soccer season, so to speak, on Thursday evening uh, with our women's soccer team against Duke, and then our men's soccer team hosts Pittsburgh on Sunday. Both of those games are on ACC Sports Network or ACC Network Extra um, to enable fans to be able to see those games. But we won't have fans uh, at those games just yet. Yeah, and it's pretty cool with the men's soccer team that they're picked. I think second in the ACC South region, so uh, they're they're looking to have a really good year. But that's nothing new for Wake Forest soccer. John Curry with us here. Would you like to workshop any material you're preparing for the Friday night virtual pep rally? We're going to have a great scene. It's going to go from nine o'clock to nine thirty. We've got a special surprise at the end, um, especially for for Wake Forest students. Um, and we'll have uh, obviously Coach Clawson and some of our players. Uh, on that uh, on that uh, virtual pep rally as well. You know, I really got to hand it to Wake Forest students. They've just been incredible um, with their focus and uh, and being safe, um, and managing the pandemic. Um, and and Wake Forest uh, professors and staff have created you know great classroom learning experiences and virtual learning experiences. But on campus uh, for the game, there will be a number of places outside uh, and under some of the big tents on campus where. Um, students can gather in up groups of up to 50 um, socially distanced, of course, uh, to watch uh, to watch the game and be part of the action, even though they can't be in the stadium. Considering all the work you've put in just to get to this point, John, with some conferences not getting to this point, what will Saturday game day being in Winston-Salem kickoff in the primetime setting 730 against the Clemson Tigers represent to you in 2020? It represents determination and optimism and perseverance and leadership. And when I say leadership, I mean from President Hatch and Commissioner Swafford um, and, and Coach Clawson uh, and, and, and our student-athlete leadership group. And they've all been committed. Um, we've all asked hard questions about safety. We've all, all committed to doing things like what I did earlier this morning when I went, went downstairs and had my brain scraped, so to speak, with that long toothpick um, to, for, for one of my COVID tests. And we've had extraordinarily good results um, uh, to that continued testing protocol, and hopefully that uh, that will continue. So um, it would have been easy to quit. You know, quitting is easy. Um, as uh, as uh, Coach Schneider, who, was, uh, who I worked with for eight years at, at uh, Kansas State, you know, uh, goal number 10 of his 16 goals was uh, uh, never give up. If you do once, it'll become a habit. And this group has not given up. And now we're in a position because we continue to believe um, that we've got the opportunity to do something that our student athletes are, are, are looking forward to very much. So football's in action on Saturday. Women's soccer Thursday night against Duke. That's going to be on ACC Network. Plus, uh, that's going to be in Winston-Salem at Spry Stadium. And then the men's team in action on Sunday. It's going to be a really exciting weekend. Oh, before we let you go. Let's talk a little basketball. What exactly are you looking at right now in terms of basketball start date? Well, we actually talked about uh, this yesterday at length on the ACC AD's uh, teleconference. 
um, and uh, Mary McElroy and Paul Brazo from the ACC office, who are the associate commissioners for women's and men's basketball, respectively, uh, gave some updates from from the coaches' groups uh, discussions. And I would say that that we're we are still at the discussion phase. It's it's still very preliminary. Um, we are not uh, directly narrowing in on any specific model. Um, Back in the springtime, uh, Josh, we may have talked about it at one time or another. Uh, as we got into COVID, we realized it was kind of like a decathlon, and you got to go from event to event. And so, I would say now that we've now that we're here, we're on event number seven or something like that. And <laughs> uh, basketball season is probably event number nine. So we're probably a few steps away from uh, being able to uh, 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 see where we're going to be. And, and candidly, we're going to learn a lot over the next two or three or four months, uh, two or three or four weeks. Uh, as we get into soccer season, field hockey, volleyball, you know, volleyball is an indoor sport. We actually are going to play our volleyball games uh, this year. Our home volleyball matches will be at uh, Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which gives us a larger uh, framework to work with, to work inside and, and better social distancing. And it also uh, prevents us from having to bring the, the away teams onto campus, which creates other, other logistical challenges. So, uh, we're going to learn a lot from all those uh, activities and experiences, and that's going to help us make the right decision as it relates to uh, both men's and women's basketball for the Atlantic Coast Conference. John, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday, socially distanced, of course. And um, congratulations on getting all of this done so far. I look forward to seeing how things look on game day. Saturday, 10 a.m. on ESPN. Thanks for doing this, John. All right, Josh. Thanks so much. So that's Wake Forest AD John Curry. And if you're wondering... On the basketball note at the end of that conversation, where's a question about the all-inclusive NCAA tournament? Full disclosure, that news came out about an hour after we taped with John Curry earlier today, but John was nice enough to give us a statement here that I've also put on social media saying, quote, I am for exploring creative and practical ways to address the challenges of the pandemic and provide opportunities for student-athletes. That is from the AD, John Curry, Steve Forbes, also putting out a statement today as well. Okay. Apparently, BDOT has a story regarding this radio show and prison. I said that right. And BDOT's always written me about not playing the trading card game while he's in studio with us. We changed that and get to story time involving prison. Next on The Drive. We got BDOT hanging out in studio with us. I, I'm just filling out my 350-team NCAA tournament bracket right now. Getting excited about that, that the ACC is pushing. We got our NFL trading card war that we're going to get to in just a few minutes. Yeah, buddy. But BDOT gives me a phone call yesterday, and I thought he was going to give me some excuse or reason he needs to get out of our bet that we had on OKC Houston. Tonight he's going to take me to Ruth Chris in Greensboro. I've been thinking about it. Going to eat a big old steak. Really excited about that. Today I found out they only have the 10-ounce steaks available. Damn. But that's not what the call was about. I made that up anyway. I was really surprised what the call was about. BDOT with an amazing story that I want to share with the audience now. BDOT, what did you learn? Friend of mine out of jail after 13 years. I got a chance to see him yesterday. 
And I'm like, yo, man, it's good to have you home. He was like, man, I just want to let you know something. They love you in prison. I said, say what? He said, they love you in there. You're a superstar, Dot. They, of course, they listen to you on 102, but they really, really watch you on Wild and Out. They don't watch any reruns unless B-Dot is on an episode, and they will watch a rerun of Wild and Out. But they really love when you're on that station where you're on, on Wednesdays where you're talking trash to that guy, Josh. And I said, really? The, the drive with Josh with Josh Graham? Like they, they, they listen to that? He's like, dude, I'm talking about – Everybody in there, when that show comes on, they all have to sit down. Everybody has to, everybody has to be quiet. They're like, yo, yo, he's coming on, he's coming on. And we just envision you with this geeky white guy teaching them hip-hop culture. That's right. We are big in prison. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> yeah, we are big there. We are huge in prison. Yeah, we are. And what? where did he just get out of? So who do we need, need to give a shout-out to? Um, I don't know if we're going to give a shout-out. We shouldn't give a shout out, or well, I mean, yeah, well, no, yeah. no, no, not the person. Oh, I mean, which which prison? I think he said it was in prison. Yeah, that prison. I think it was the prison in Lexington. I think he said in Davie County. I think. Okay, I didn't well, even know there was one there. Shouts to the folks in Davie County. Yeah, prison serving some time. Yeah, and yeah. if you and if you're there, uh, my my boy DG, my boy DG was the one that shouted y'all out. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. They set, They made sure to point out that they like you. Do they like me at all? Well, I think they're just basically saying that I'm enhancing your show. <laughs> so if I ever, I hope I don't, but if I ever go to... Sawyer, that's where Sawyer's I... Sawyer's yeah, horrible you go. at this. Uh-huh. Robbie! He's filling in for Robert today. <laughs> so if I ever end up in the can, and that's specifically where I'm at, yeah. do things go well for me or it goes poorly? No, they're going to go well for you. Once they find out you're Josh Graham and you were um and you got to touch hands with B Dot, woo, you're in there, bro. All right. Just make sure you name drop. This is my birthday gift to you. Thank you got a you. birthday on Friday. I do. My gift to you. I do. Is <laughs> this uh this NFL trading card war? You open up packs of cards when you walk into the studio, yeah. as if we don't use them for this segment. Yeah. We usually play this game on Tuesdays, but with us being off on Monday due to Labor Day. Things got pushed back a day, so we're going to do the NFL trading card war. Now, let's go ahead and play the game. <laughs> this means war! You're a tough little guy, aren't you? This means war! Hey, hey, it's cool, it's cool. This means war. What? Does it have to? Can it mean something else? Okay, you dirtbags! This means war! Finish him! All right, let's open up a pack of cards real quickly. Yeah, get to this. Let me rip this thing open here. Thank you. All right, taking a look at this pack of cards. For those who don't know, we have a pack of cards, 12 cards per pack, and we're trying to place players that we get into certain superlatives that Sawyer came up with today. And I'll share those with you now as we try to figure out where to put these players. First superlative, most likely to become a rapper. Yep. Best wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Most likely to have peaked in college. Most likely to ask for gas money on a five-minute drive. And most likely to become TikTok famous. Those are 
the five categories. B dot, how are you feeling about your pack of cards? I hate them. Like this pack I don't of like cards my pack either. sucks. Like usually when I'm listening to you guys play this, it's a lot better categories. And it's a lot better names These on the cards. These are pretty good categories. Well, I just know that you said Sawyer came up with them, so I just wanted to make him feel bad. But even with that, I don't even know half the guys on my cards. Yeah, same like, here. Half of the names I just had to leave over here. Yeah, half my pack's kind of that way too, but really? I do have two quarterbacks. Do you? Two I, quarterbacks I, I could just potentially got one quarterback. All right. Hmm, I got a bunch of rookies. First one, most likely to become a rapper, I've got Mark Ingram. Mm. Already got the name Big Truss. Him and Lamar Jackson. Big Truss. I'd go see them. You got Big Sean. You got Big Boy. Now you got Big Truss Mm. starring Mark Ingram. He's most likely to become a rapper in my mind. I got Deshaun Watson. Why is that? Leader down there in H-Town. Down there already with some of the greats can get to team up with UGK and then and, and the Bun B's and the Trills. All he needs is for Jay Prince to co-sign. If Jay Prince co-signs Deshaun Watson, he's definitely a rapper. Not to mention that's where Drake started out in Houston at the strip clubs. Gotta go with the Houston player, Deshaun Watson. Sawyer, who you going with? B dot or myself? I, I was on Mark Ingram at first, but Josh didn't really sell him hardly at all besides the big trust. Yeah. I think I'm taking Deshaun Watson out of Houston. Let's for my, go. Uh, Probably need to sell it better. Rapper. Let's All go. right, second one. B dots up one to nothing. Best wardrobe. Who you going with? I'm gonna go with John Brown from the Buffalo Bills. I feel like when you're in Buffalo, you got to have an extensive clothing wardrobe. John Brown just seems, I mean, seems super swaggy. Okay, his name is John Brown, so you know he's walking around, and everybody be like, "Damn, I'll be John Brown," because they want to be John Brown. They want to dress like John Brown. They want the swag of John Brown. Definitely best dressed. Have you ever been to Buffalo? Yes. They do not dress really well in Buffalo. Uh, well, I didn't get to see many other people. Yeah. I had a show there. We went to Niagara Falls. That was about it. Best wardrobes, Buda, uh, Buda Baker. Buda Baker, Arizona Cardinals. He just signed the richest contract that any safety has ever signed. NFL history, y'all. If you're the richest at any position in the National Football League, odds are you can afford some clothes. And Buda Baker probably has a lot better wardrobe than John Brown. Wait a, a second. second string wide receiver. Buda Baker doesn't even have a name of swag like John Brown. Not to mention John Brown came from Arizona and went to Buffalo, so he's not a Buffalonian. John Brown with the swag. Buda Baker, that's the pick. Sawyer, who are you going with? I have crawled through their Instagrams as we were talking about this. Josh takes this one. Buddha Baker yeah. is kind of swagged out. Damn, yeah, that's right. Lie. His name is Buddha, man. Come on. Number three. One one time. Most likely to have peaked in college. There's no way you're beating me with this card. I got Gardner Minshew. He is the NFL's Uncle Rico. He did a thing with Uncle Rico last year. Look at the mustache. My guy definitely peaked in college. He's been telling stories about how he hit his hand with a hammer to try and earn an extra year of eligibility and get a medical red shirt. He went to East Carolina before going to play for Mike Leach. It's the definition of this category. If you think about NFL players who may have peaked in college, you're thinking Gardner Minshew. Nah, you're definitely thinking Vance McDonald, tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You talk about somebody who has done pretty much nothing 
since he's been in the league. And you know, you talk about stories that Gardner Minshew's been telling. Vance McDonald's in school telling about his farm and how he had his, 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 his uncle old McDonald had a horse and a cow and all types of things on his. You talk about stories. Vance McDonald was the man in high school. Not so much ever since. You don't even know what college Vance McDonald went to. Gardner Minshew plays for the Jaguars. Again, you don't even know what college Vance McDonald went to. Neither do you. It's on your card. He peaked in high school. Nobody knows. It's not even on his card. It's not even on his card. It has peaked in high school on the back of Vance McDonald's card. Yeah, peaked in high school. <laughs> I think this one's a pretty obvious runaway. Gardner Minshew definitely Thank takes you. his round. Yeah, that's true. All right, two to one. Yeah. You need to get this one. Most likely to ask for gas money on a five-minute drive. Who are you going with? Terry McLaurin. Wide receiver for the Washington Deadskins. I'm sorry, for the Washington uh, football team. You could still call them Deadskins. I he, don't think they're mad about that. He's definitely going to ask for money because, one, he knows that he doesn't know how much money the um, the Washington Deadskins even have anymore to pay his salary. Secondly, <laughs> he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be a Washington Deadskin. Terry McLaurin's definitely trying to collect as many coins as possible. So if you get him to get you give you a ride somewhere, five minutes, 500 miles, he's going to ask you for some gas money. Terry McLaurin's broke self with them Washington Deadskins. Definitely asking. I'm going with Atlanta Falcons kicker Young Ho Koo. I almost drafted him because his, his name, was so name dope. is Young Ho Koo. That lets you know he don't need any money, Josh. What I'm saying is, if you a Young Ho, you are <laughs> looking for a bunch of money, and he is a Young Ho. He is a Young Ho. That's right. And uh, kickers don't make all that, so I'm going Young Ho Koo. He's in a better situation in Atlanta than Terry McLaurin is in Washington. They don't even have a mascot. Sawyer, after some extensive research, Terry McLaurin is actually sponsored by Acura, Mm. which this makes me think that he's already basically probably getting a car paid, (laughs) but probably not his gas, which he would also want paid. Terry McLaurin gets round. Let's go. All right, it comes down to this. Well done, Sawyer. Most likely to become TikTok famous. Easy. When I think about TikTok, I think about white people dancing poorly. And when I think of white people dancing poorly, I think of Jared Goff. Mm. My man's dressing up like the guy from Malibu's Most Wanted. Mm. That's really who TikTok appeals to, the guy from Malibu's Most Wanted. Jared Goff's that guy, and he's from Silicon Valley. He's from Northern California, went to Cal Berkeley. If you're going to be internet famous on TikTok, Odds are you're going to look like Jared Goff. You can be internet famous with a um, with an app that you're not familiar with. TikTok is for the youngins, the new generation, the rookies. That's why I got to go with DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift from Georgia. He's the youngest. He's the youngest in my pack. He's got that swag from down in Atlanta, so he knows all the dances. Of course, he's familiar with TikTok. He's probably got a million followers on TikTok, just like every rookie does. When you talk about somebody that has the possibility to become TikTok famous, Got to think about that running back in Detroit, DeAndre Swift. Come on. Sawyer, who you going with? Who's going to win the trading card war? DeAndre Swift. Let's go! There's no way a guy, Jared Goff. Josh, you posted one TikTok, and (laughs) it would be what Jared Goff would post, and it didn't go viral. (laughs) That's ridiculous. (laughs) Jared Goff's not becoming TikTok famous. That is terrible. Let's go! Terrible. I've been wanting to play this game forever. Ah. I just got robbed there. Undefeated. This poll's also ridiculous, too. I asked on Twitter, who will have a better offense this year, Clemson or North Carolina? And I'm not surprised that some people say Clemson. 87% saying Clemson? Like, who's Clemson's best wide receiver? 
Like, you can get excited about this Nada guy. I haven't seen him play. Amari, Amari Rogers. I think we know who he is at this point, and more importantly, who he isn't. No T. Higgins, no Justin Ross. North Carolina has 10 of their 11 starters back. So some people mix it up. When you say that somebody is the best team in the ACC, that they're the best at everything. They're the favorite to win a conference, that they're the best at everything. And they're not. Like, Trevor Lawrence, great quarterback. Sam Howell had more touchdowns last year. And you got two 1,000-yard rushers. You got Travis Etienne, sure. North Carolina has two 1,000-yard rushers. And they got three tremendous receivers. Three receivers that I think are better than any Clemson Tiger receiver. And four of the offensive linemen back for Carolina, too. Maybe it's just the skeptic in me, or maybe it's because everybody's ticked off it's a political year and you got COVID and everything else you're dealing with in your day-to-day life, but I'm skeptical anytime I see something that is proposed by a conference or a politician or you name it, and I think you got to look at things critically as to who it might benefit. So here's the all-inclusive NCAA tournament. That's presented by ACC coaches, and they're all saying it's because we want to have a safe environment for all the kids to play. We want it to be an even playing ground for everybody out there as well. This is why we're doing it. It's out of the kindness of our hearts, being the big ACC, being a leader. We want everybody to be involved in this tournament. Everything's roses. The skeptic in me, though, feels like it could be a shameless money grab. You can choose which side you want to believe, but here's the argument to the other end. Trying, you didn't have the NCAA tournament last year, and I don't think people realize how much is gained from that tournament per school who's allowed to participate in it and also the conferences, the payout they get for teams being in it. Like the Just in marketing money, marketing money, television and sponsorship deals, the March Madness NCAA tournament in 2019 brought in $867 million. That's quite a bit of coin, right? So I understand the NCAA wanting to recoup some of that by having more teams participate. More teams participate means more games. More games means more money, which means there's more to share. There's more that the NCAA brings in. Am I wrong to think the ACC is thinking, hey, we lost maybe not as much as some of these other conferences. I think uh, I saw they they pulled in 87% of what they would have otherwise in the in the athletic year 2019-2020. But 13%, still 13%. You know, you get to bring in a little bit more across sports. Recoup some of last year's tournament money lost. Secondly, look who's making the decisions here. I was talking to John Curry earlier today, and when I first talked to John today, he did not know about this. This is, I I think, only the coaches knew about it. And I can tell you, as somebody who's covered college sports for quite some time, ACC coaches, they've lost money due to pay cuts. They make more than they probably should anyway. Roy Williams, he's shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for all these scholarships 
for spring sport athletes who didn't get a chance to compete, and that's a fantastic thing. But there's a reason why not everybody's doing that. You know? We do this thing in sports where we think that we would be the most giving people on earth if we made what these coaches and what these players make. But in reality, money is money. And usually, as a capitalist, you want to make more of it. We're so good at giving away other people's money. A lot of these coaches, they've had to take pay cuts. You don't think they want to recoup some of that? I guarantee you, in most of these coaches' contracts, the ones that decided, let's have a tournament where we all get in, they have incentives in that contract that say, hey, if you make the NCAA tournament, you get a bonus. Look at all these contracts. I guarantee you, most of them have that. You make the NCAA tournament, you get incentives. Recoup some of the losses from buy or from our pay cuts, and then there's this idea that if COVID was such a big deal towards the tail end of flu season a year ago, is it also going to damage some of the conference tournaments of 2021? If that were to happen, man, it's expensive to put on these conference tournaments if you can't have fans at games. So eliminate them. Eliminate them and have just a bigger NCAA tournament. Because here's what would happen. The NCAA is the one responsible for the travel. The NCAA is the one responsible for figuring out where the teams are going to play and having arenas where they can play in, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to foot the bill on that. Not the ACC. They're, they're passing the buck on potentially losing money with some of these conference tournaments. Now, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm not saying I believe this is a shameless money grab, but eh, odds are it's usually not as rosy as it's presented on one side or as bad as you could possibly make it on the other. Things are usually gray, and I have a feeling things are pretty gray with this too, and I just think in the larger picture for college basketball, it's not good to devalue your best product. It's not good. It's not good for business to say, here's our biggest thing in the NCAA that generates close to $100 million, and you potentially jeopardize that. You potentially say, eh, you know, let's alter it a bit and figure out the hard way that people like it the way it is. Roddy Jones could have joined us in 10 minutes on Twitter at SportsUpDrive337777. 1-600, what's your thought on a 350-team NCAA tournament with everybody in D1 involved in it? The NFL starts tomorrow, and as promised, I have playoff teams from a year ago that I think are going to fall out and teams that are going to get back into the playoffs in 2020. Let's start with the teams that are going to fall out. In the AFC South, it's the Houston Texans. I don't bank on bad organizations. This was my argument with the L.A. Chargers last year. Not a great organization. They won 11 games in the tough, toughest division in football in 2018. And we saw what happened to them. They didn't make the playoffs. They were largely irrelevant. Houston, they got a great quarterback. They don't have a lot else. Pretty good left tackle, too, but the rest of that O-line, spotty. You lose DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if Brandon Cooks is a great alternative the secondary is really bad, too. 
this is not a good age of football to be bad in the secondary. Tennessee Titans staying in the AFC South. They went to the AFC Championship game. They also got beat by the Carolina Panthers and Kyle Allen last year. I saw it firsthand. I think Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry come down to earth. And I see they add Jadavion Clowney. He's a big name. He's a former number one pick. But I don't know if he's an impact player, especially when he's trying to learn a playbook in less than a week before he's expected to play games for the Tennessee Titans. I think they fall out as well. And this is a big one. The Green Bay Packers. They overachieved last year. Got killed in the NFC title game. Jimmy G, he only completed like eight passes in that game. It's a competitive division. The Bears, for as bad as they seem with Mitchell Trubisky, still somehow ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. The Detroit Lions, they're going to be better. They seem to be a dark horse pick by many people I respect. The Minnesota Vikings, they add Yannick Ngakwe. I think Minnesota's going to win the division. Green Bay's going to fall out. I don't see this as a division that has multiple teams getting into the playoffs. So those are the three. Texans, Titans, Packers that are going to fall out that made the playoffs last year. Who's going to replace them? I got five teams here. Oh, but Josh, your math might be off there. Seven teams in each conference are going to get in this year when usually it's been six. Let's start with the obvious. Two AFC South teams are falling out. One has to win the division. It's the Indianapolis Colts. If Jacoby Brissett was healthy at the end of the year, I think they get in. Now you're upgrading quarterback play with Phillip Rivers. Remember, 11-5 with him at quarterback just two seasons ago in the toughest division in football. This is not the toughest division. Best organization, really good GM, like the coach. Indianapolis, they're going to get back in. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, another obvious one. 7-9 last year. Six of those nine games were one possession losses. You got Tom Brady. He ain't going to turn it over 30 times like Jameis Winston did a year ago. That means the defense, they're not going to be as fatigued. Really good pass rush. Tampa, they're in. Pittsburgh Steelers. Remember what I said about bad organizations? You can't bank on them to be consistent year to year. Good organizations don't get kept down long. Denver was a team I was considering to put in, but with Von Miller likely out for the year, I think they're just going to be on the outside looking in. Pittsburgh, though, 8-8 eight and eight with a guy named Duck playing quarterback and Mason Rudolph leading the way. I still trust Ben. Look at the numbers. He was awesome two years ago. Future Hall of Famer, he says there's no pain in his elbow that he's had dating back to his days at Miami of Ohio. So until I see him play poorly, I'm going to bank on him being pretty good. Pittsburgh, they're back into the playoffs. AFC North as well, the Cleveland Browns. No more excuses. Kevin Stefanski, he's an adult. He's a proven coach, unlike Freddie Kitchens. I think that's a huge upgrade. Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills on the O-line. They shored that up. Baker's going to have a bounce back year. Cleveland, they're in the playoffs too. And to round it out, the Dallas Cowboys. I hate to say it because I have this bet with BDOT where if they win 10 games, I have to wear a cowboy hat and a Speedo and do a 12-photo shoot for a calendar. But uh, I still think there's a scenario with a seven-team field that they win eight games, maybe eight, seven, and one, or win nine games and sneak in. I think the Eagles are going to win that division, but you got four games against the Giants and the Washington football team. That's going to help Dallas back into the playoffs. So there you have it. Playoff teams that fall out, teams that didn't make the playoffs, who are going in. 
Is it possible? I put this out on a poll question. And I want to address it. Is it possible North Carolina has a better offense than Clemson does? We'll discuss with ACC Network analyst Roddy Jones. Next. We are one day away from the NFL and ACC football seasons kicking off. It's going to be the Chiefs and Texans tomorrow night. De'Eric King's going to make his debut as a Miami Hurricane against UAB, which has already played a game last week. They won, uh, scoring a lot of points against Central Arkansas on a Thursday night. To break it all down, it's Roddy Jones with us from the ACC Network. He's going to be on the call at high noon, North Carolina and Syracuse in Chapel Hill on Saturday. And since you're an offensive guy, Roddy, I want to start with talking about quarterbacks because when you look at returning touchdown passes from last year, among guys who were set to play, again, taking out Justin Fields here, the ACC has the top three guys in the country with Sam Howell, Trevor Lawrence, and Ian Book. If I add De'Eric King to that mix among the great quarterbacks the Atlantic Coast Conference has... Who do you like to take the biggest step forward in 2020? Well, um, it is quite the list of, of quarterbacks in the ACC, first and foremost. Uh, and, and that was going to be the case before Notre Dame joined the league. So you add Ian Book to that, and it's even, it's even a, a, a bigger step. Uh, but with the, in terms of the impact of the quarterback position, I expect Garrett King to have an outsized impact on Miami. Um, and and it's, it's going to be amplified by the fact that they get Rhett Lashley in. Rhett Lashley had the second, uh, ran the second most plays per game of any team in the country last year at SMU behind only Wake Forest. Uh, they were up near 80, just under 80 plays per game, where Miami was running, you know, somewhere below 70 plays per game. So, so their, their tempo is going to increase. The spread offense is going to give Garrett King uh, opportunities to to showcase his skills but from a leadership standpoint that quarterback room at Miami has lacked leadership for a long time from a talent standpoint he's a different kind of quarterback than they've had uh, he's, a, he's just a football player man he's a guy that that galvanizes his teammates he's a guy that's going to make plays and electrify and excite that sideline so I think his impact is going to be outsized they have not had somebody like this at Miami in a long long time Follow Roddy on Twitter at Roddy Jones 20 And again, North Carolina Syracuse noon kickoff. ACC Network on Saturday. Um, I, think, I think it would surprise some people who aren't studying the stats that Sam Howell had more touchdown passes than Trevor Lawrence did last year. Is it with 10 of 11 starters on offense back, including two 1,000-yard rushers in the backfield, and you got the great receivers? I mean, your partner in the booth, Wes Durham, said... He doesn't believe Bo Corrales gets enough credit. Everybody seems to focus on Brown and Newsom on the outside. Is it a stretch to say that North Carolina has the best offense in the Atlantic Coast Conference going into the year? Oh, that, it is not a stretch. Um, anytime we start to make those kind of, of statements, I hesitate because Clemson always seems to just trot out a, a group of guys that's going to blow us all away. Um, but in terms of provenness, absolutely, that's not a stretch at all. You've got, as you said, the two running backs are fantastic, both in the in the run game and the pass game. The three receivers that they've got, Sam Howell at quarterback, this is going to be an offense that is formidable. They do have some questions on the offensive line. I think there's a lack of depth there right now. 
So that's going to be a question mark really throughout the season until they can develop that. But this offense is going to be not only versatile from a run standpoint, pass standpoint, I think Sam Howell is going to run more this year as well. And when you think about great quarterbacks that we've seen the past few seasons, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, all of them had a run aspect to their game. Uh, not all proficient runners, but, but all of them had a run aspect. And I think Sam Howell adding that's only going to add to this offense. So I, I would be terrified to face this offense um, <laughs> if, if I were going up against them because I think they are going to absolutely light up the scoreboard. Yeah, uh, and to your point, the only player that doesn't return as a starter for the Tar Heels offense, it's Charlie Heck, who was drafted in the fourth round on that Tar Heel O-line. Uh, I'm interested in what your expectation is. We can discuss how expectations beat reality after the fact, but going into the weekend, we got college game day in Winston-Salem for the first time. It's never been there. I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. John Curry was with us earlier. He's describing this truest drive-in where cars are going to drive in on the Winston-Salem fairgrounds and fans are going to be on camera that way and a lot of it's going to be virtual. Then you're going to be on the call for Syracuse, North Carolina. No fans are going to be allowed in the stands and I'm going to be at the nightcap with Clemson and Wake Forest and I really don't know how I'm going to feel as a college football fan, first and foremost, to see what exactly it looks like without an atmosphere there what are your expectations going in Roddy Jones um well I expect us to enjoy the games first and foremost uh, I am going to a place in Keenan Stadium that's not going to have any fans so I, I don't really know what to expect I, I I think it's going to feel to me like a like a scrimmage it's going to feel because uh, I've been in you know countless stadiums whether as a player or or since I've gotten done where you're going and you know it's closed to the fans there's nobody in the stadium and the, and the teams are scrimmaging uh, themselves so so I think it's going to feel a little bit like that with the hype of a game day because you know I'll, I'll be working but uh, I I really I, I think that it's going to to be different and I know it's going to affect the game I just don't know how like I can't quantify how exactly it's going to impact the game, other than both sidelines should be able to communicate better. But some guys do better with the crowd. They get hyped up. They get excited. It makes them elevate their game. Some guys do better with no crowd because there's no pressure. There's no expectations. It feels like it's a scrimmage. It feels like practice, and you're able to go out and perform. So knowing who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect them is going to be really diff- difficult. Uh, but this is, this is the, the sort of new normal. I know it's been said a, b- a billion times. Uh, but this is kind of what we're going to have to get used to. And I think the scenes over the weekend that we saw with Arkansas State Liberty, uh, excuse me, Arkansas State and Memphis at the Liberty Bowl, the Liberty Bowl allowed 5,000 fans in, and that was a completely different environment because of the crowd or because of the music that they pumped in, because of the crowd being there. It was a completely different environment than BYU being at Navy where it felt like uh, it was being played in a field in the middle of nowhere with stands. Like it felt really, really weird. And also that game was weird, but but much weirder than the <laughs> other games that weekend. So I think it's really going to vary, to be honest. Does that make you worry, that game on Monday, about some of these favorites? We see these lofty favorites, and if we're just telling the truth, none of us are at practice and really know how much they're tackling live. Coach Ken said that they didn't do much of it, and a favorite gets blasted by 50 points. And if Navy, of all schools, isn't disciplined – who can we really count on for sure to be disciplined going into week one? 
The answer is nobody, with the exception of maybe Clemson. Like, Clemson <laughs> is the only safe bet in all of college football this week. Um, and, and, and here's, here's, here's why. I, I just think that, like you said, we are not, we are not, um, we're not at practices. We don't know how much these teams are hitting. And, and we don't know how these teams have, have digested all of this this offseason. Uh, I, I just, you know, there's, there's so much going on in these young men's lives that, that you don't know how it affects them. You don't know whether or not they're struggling in online classes. You don't know whether or not they're missing a girlfriend or a mom or a dad and how that's affecting their practice. There's just so many things that go into it. I would not trust any of the favorites. Like in the game I'm doing, North Carolina-Syracuse, Carolina's a, a, a three-touchdown favorite. I, I don't trust that at all because Syracuse should be much improved on offense. We don't know how Carolina's been dealing with all of this. We don't know how they've responded with their practices being interrupted after the cluster was found on campus. You just don't know so much. So I think this, uh, this of all years is a year where we will learn a lot from week to week just about the psyche of these teams and how what's going on around the programs are affecting them. Five FBS games last weekend. The underdogs 4-1 and one against the spread with two outright wins, and those two outright wins – we're by a double-digit points. Roddy Jones is on Twitter, at RoddyJones20, again on the call for North Carolina and Syracuse. So if the ACC's all four having everybody involved in an NCAA tournament, 350 teams across Division One college basketball, how does Roddy Jones feel about 130 teams involved in a college football playoff? Uh, that, it would take forever, um, <laughs> but I'm here for it. Like, yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. I want to see who are the 130th. Uh, UMass, it'd probably be UMass. Against Let's line Clemson up UConn. Alabama. UConn like, against UConn? Bama. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't even think Bama would play the starters in that situation. But <laughs> hey, what, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Let's go. <laughs> Randy Etzel getting after it, going head to head with Saban. National exactly. TV, no fans. Let's go. Uh, Roddy Jones, look forward to hearing you, watching you on Saturday. Thanks for making the time in the triad, sir. My pleasure, man. Take care.